welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, Summer's finally somewhat here it seems like we get a little teaser of some awesome weather and then uh the not so great weather rolls in and uh it's unfortunate this time of year we should be shooting every day outside in some nice weather but uh, it's been a little bit spotty i've actually been in the middle of shooting several different setups um i've been shooting a a pro comp elite xl uh with some fat boy 340 shafts i've been shooting at about 64 pounds and uh using that for some 3ds here and there and then i've also been shooting a pro edge elite with uh some some easton pro fields and uh, i've been shooting that for some target and now i've just recently set up a spider 34 for my main hunting rig for the year and uh, I decided to set that up with some uh, injection FMJs that I got from Easton and uh, it's shooting really really nice you know I posted the other day on Facebook uh, a little video kind of showing my exact setup for that bow and uh, I continued to get several questions on different things uh, regarding the bows and the setup so on this podcast I'm going to dive into a few of the questions that you guys had posted uh, relating specifically to those uh, setup that videos that I posted and then also uh, I'm going to jump into a few other things that I kind of wish we would have had time to touch on on the last podcast when I was talking with uh, with Frank Uh, about some fitness related things but I'm going to speak more specifically uh, about the archery side of that and kind of what my routine is Uh, and then talk a little bit about uh, some products as well that I continually get asked for but uh, I guess the first question uh, that I've got from someone here um, Lauren Hodge posted you know when I after I showed that video of my spider 34 setup he kind of made the comment that uh you know you have a bare bow that costs the average guy 1500 bucks plus tax um then you put on all your accessories and then he you know goes on to say that you know i always talk about wanting to replace the factory strings and cables with um you know an aftermarket set and was you know kind of questioning instead of spending that 150 dollars on a set of winner's choice uh, why wouldn't you spend that money buying a top of the line arrow Um, you know he kind of lauren kind of just states that the the sets of strings that come on the bows are are high quality strings and cables now and you know really doesn't see why that money should be spent there and uh you know you definitely are right the quality of the strings coming out of really all the factories right now are definitely at a better level than what they were say 10 years ago or five years ago um you know fuse makes a great set of strings and cables that come on 
the Hoyt right out of the box. Uh, you know, there's different uh, companies use different string companies. Some There's some companies that actually put winner's choice on their strings uh, right off the shelf. Uh, but considering that, the one thing that I would like to say is that I've just really made it my rule that because I travel, uh, because I'm a hunter, because I'm a target archer, and I'm continually taking my bow places, I've just uh, really found it to be an insurance policy for me to get um, a new set of strings and cables when I buy my bow. Um, One, I like to pick a color uh, that is favorable to me. I always pick totally flow green strings. So, you know, for that option alone, I don't have the choice when I take it off the shelf. But from there, I always kind of roughly set up that the factory set of strings and cables that are on my, you know, on my Hoyts when I pull them out of the box. Um, I did this when I shot Matthews. And to be honest, I did it back even when I shot high country bows ages ago. Um, I would just take the factory sets, go ahead and put your knock sets and loop on there and your peep sight, uh, and get it, you know, don't spend a lot of time tuning it, but at least get it set up. Then I remove that factory set. I put on my, um, my custom set, the one that has the colors that I want. And then I'll take the, the original set and I'll put them right into, uh, you know, the little baggie, and I keep those in my bow case. Um, You know, several years ago, I was shooting a bow up in Canada, and it it was actually back when I shot a single cam bow, and at the time, the bow that I was shooting wasn't even on the market yet. It was a prototype that I'd taken up kind of on a, a backcountry moose hunt, and uh, I ended up accidentally slicing my string or I should say almost all of my string there was three strands left but I accidentally sliced them with the broadhead and then I found myself stuck uh, you know four hours from the closest archery shop uh, without a bowstring that no one even had in stock uh, even if I was in a town so I've just kind of made it a point ever since then. That completely ruined, you know, a moose hunt that was quite expensive for me at the time. So I've just continued to take my factory sets off, put them in my bow case, get a secondary set that, you know, is the color I want, and those are the ones that I set up, and the other ones just kind of stay in the original baggie um, as an insurance policy. So for me... Yeah, the you know the hundred bucks or the hundred and fifty bucks, whatever it is, um, it's worth it for me. Now, I'm not saying that um, you know the factory strings and cables that come on the bows aren't adequate enough, and that I'm not shooting them for that reason. I mean, I definitely prefer uh, having a bow string that when you put it on your bow, you know your peep sight's going to be in the same place from start to finish. You know that you're not going to have serving separation or have to battle your string or cables continually stretching. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to deal with that anyway. But, you know, if the 150 bucks isn't in your budget, then, you know, you can always just buy a backup set of the original factory strings and cables. I just feel like, for me, 
it's worth the peace of mind to know that if I go somewhere and something happens, I can always have it right there at the ready. I mean, not to mention you can customize the look that you want. So, Lauren, that's kind of my stance on that. That's why I do it. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is, um, and this gets a little bit technical, um, there's certain times on certain cams, for example, um, when I shot the um, spiral cams, um, you know, those cams have a pretty short valley and they have a pretty uh, low let off as it is. So what I did at the time was I always would get my strings and cables built and I would actually have my cables served with a slightly smaller serving diameter just so that I would be able to get a little bit more valley and also a little bit more let off. Um, likewise, now on my bows, you know, like for example, uh, the Pro Edge Elite, now it comes with a high let off cam only. So in order for me to shoot that for target and, you know, have the holding weight that I like at, at the lower poundages that I shoot for target, um, and then also to kind of get the feel that I like, I actually had to um, shoot a slightly larger serving diameter on that just so that I could, uh, you know, have a little bit more holding weight. So the basic rule of thumb when it comes to strings and cables, just to kind of dive into what I'm talking about here, is on your cables, if you increase the diameter then what you're going to do is you're going to actually, since that diameter is a little bit bigger and it's going to fit in that cam track a little bit bigger, you're actually going to have a little bit less, uh, you're going to have a little bit uh, less of a valley. So in other words, you kind of come to a stop slightly sooner because that, that cable doesn't go as far inside that track. And you also are going to, if your cable is bigger, you're going to increase your holding weight. Um, and if your cable obviously is smaller, you're going to decrease that. Um, the other thing too, I guess while I'm on that subject, um, about, you know, custom strings and cables, I'm actually going to, uh, answer a question, um, that I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Edward, but you had asked the question, um, do you find the nocturnal lighted knocks have a different point of impact than standard knocks? And for the most part, um, you know, when it comes to lighted knocks, you know, there's a lot of them out there. The ones that I prefer, the nocturnals, I like how easy they can turn off and I like how they fit the shaft. Um, you know, having that tolerance is super critical. And there's been some companies here recently that have made some posts about their lighted knocks that are pretty far-fetched in my opinion. Um, I almost debated doing a video comparing everything so that people could really see the true differences. Um, but what I do when I, I like, you know, on my hunting bows, for the most part, if I'm not in a state that doesn't allow it, I always shoot lighted knocks even in practice. Um, I'll use my lighted knocks from last year's, my practice knocks for this year, and then obviously I'll get fresh ones for this for this season. Um, but I like to actually um, kind of tell the string company, you know, when I get a custom string, that's what's nice about it. Or if I if I build a center serving myself, 
I like to build a, a serving that fits the knocks to where they fit properly. And what I'm looking for, I like to be able to click the knock onto the serving, but then I like to be able to freely spin the serving inside the throat of that knock. If you're having to really snap it on there, and when you go to turn it, if you're actually kind of turning the arrow with that, then your serving's much too tight. And what I found is a lot of the lighted knocks on the market just don't fit the same. But for me, the Nocturnals, um, they fit a little bit tighter on my serving. Um, supposedly, there's supposed to be a brand new mold coming out that's actually a an exact match of whatever knock you're replacing um, but for what I do I just kind of put my center serving on there just a little bit tighter um, so that I get the fit that I want and from there when it actually comes to point of impact and accuracy I've found these nocturnals to be the most accurate um, you know they're all going to hit a little bit lower just for the fact that you've got more weight in the back of your shaft obviously the further you go the more you're going to see you know a difference but you know like I said for me I'm never really comparing them against a regular knock simply because I just use my last year's ones as my practice knocks and I like I said I put a fresh pack in the quiver that I have on my bow with the broadhead so um, you know, I've tested a lot of them, and I really feel like the the nocturnals are the ones that I like the most. Um, how they fit in the shaft is equally important um, to you know how they fit on the serving as well. Because obviously, if they're fitting in your shaft too tight, they're going to end up damaging it. Um, if they fit in there too loose, you're going to end up losing accuracy and potentially uh, having a hazard as well. Um, one thing to I can say on that, and this goes for really any type of knock that you're replacing, the best thing to do or get in the habit of is always take a little string wax and put it on the end of the knock before you insert it into the shaft. It makes it go in so much smoother and it allows you to index it without having to actually twist the plastic you know a lot of guys they put their knocks in they're super tight and then they end up grabbing them with their teeth or clip or clipping them on the string and having to twist the shaft in order to index the knock properly and uh, what you end up doing is you end up either um, you know changing the actual um, back end you know the throat of the knock or you twist the end of the knock um, you end up putting bite marks in it. You know, it's you're gonna end up causing yourself harm. I've seen more people um, blow a knock up while they're firing their arrow because you know because of these simple things like this. You know, they they just don't consider the fact that it is just a little piece of plastic. So if you do damage it. Um, and then you apply the amount of force on it that a compound bow does when it shoots, you're definitely going to end up cracking one. So use the string wax. It's a great um, thing to do. It makes it so much easier. You can just you don't have to carry a knock tool with you or a pair of pliers. You can just turn them with your fingers. So I think if you haven't been doing that already, you're going to definitely enjoy uh, how much easier that is. But, you know, 
once again, just like with veins or uh, shafts, I mean, you guys ask a lot of uh, kind of loaded questions. I I want to say you you know you kind of say, well, what's what's the best vein for me, or you know, what do you think is the best broadhead I could shoot? And honestly, depending on your setup, those things change often. Um, you really don't know unless you try for yourself. You know, you have to go out there and and try the different ones and see what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, I can honestly say I've done that with the lighted knocks. You know, I, I went and, and bought one of each kind and, you know, I go back to a distance, um, you know, that I'm comfortable with. The longer, the better for comparing things, in my opinion, because the further you are away, the more it magnifies problems that are going on. And, uh, you know, I shoot them down there, and obviously the ones that shoot the closest to a, a factory knock are going to be the ones that I go with, and, you know, I could pretty much shoot any one I want, and the nocturnals are the ones that I prefer. That's, once again, just my preference. Um, the next question I got here um, is um, from Eric Riley, and, you know, he's asking back on in one of the podcasts that I did with um, Randy Ulmer, you know, we talked about the importance of having a high front of center or FOC. Um, And, you know, we talked about it with several different shafts, but, you know, I guess the real common question here lately is, um, you know, what type of FOC is ideal or what kind of FOC do I look for? Um, And then also how do, how do I keep that? Um, within spine, you know, and I think what he means by that is, you know, Randy and I are both um, very favorable to shooting um, a lot of point weight, you know, whether it's having a heavier insert or shooting a heavier broadhead, um, you know, we are advocates of having quite a bit of front of center. So for the basic rule of thumb, I always want to try to be over 10%. Um, the best thing to do to figure that out, you know, there's, there is an actual formula for it. You could probably Google, you know, arrow front of center and find the formula. Um, but once again, you know, a program that I've found very useful is the Archer's Advantage program. Um, it's pretty detailed as a program. You know, there's a lot of steps that you have to go through. You know, you have to. Um, and if you want to sign up for that, they used to have a disc, um, you know, which then you can only put it on a few computers. I actually just, I registered for the online version and then you can simply log in from any computer that you're at and then you have access to look up different arrows. You have access to print site scales. So, um, that was where I signed up for that was Archer's Advantage Online dot com um you know i forget what it was uh for the month or for the year it wasn't a lot you know i don't know if it was 10 to 15 bucks but either way when you when you're on there um there's a lot of different options down the left one shaft selector uh, but what i do first is i actually click on the setup button um, and then i'll go to bow configuration and i'll actually type in the actual bow um, that I'm going to be, you know, picking an arrow for, um, cause that helps you select the correct one as well. But, you know, then if you go to the arrow configuration, 
you know, you can go to the shaft. Um, you can click on the shaft manufacturer, and you have an option from everything from, you know, aerodynamics all the way down to victory arrows, uh, you know, and everything in between. And for each company you pick, then you can go in, and there's literally just every single shaft that they make. Um, then you can click the shaft size that you're looking for. Um, you can type in how long the arrow is, and then what you'll do is you'll actually then input some other details of your arrow, including the point that you're going to shoot, the how heavy the insert is, um, what knock you're shooting, um, also the fletching that you're shooting, and an arrow wrap, and it calculates all that out, and then... Um, when you after you enter that all in you can click back on the shaft details uh, tab and it'll give you an actual breakdown of what your front of center is or your FOC um, for example um, the Easton axis is an arrow that I've really enjoyed shooting over the years I think it's a great all-around arrow um, I have always shot the Axis 300 with 50 grains of brass, um, and then I shoot a 100 grain head on the front of that. Well, that arrow carries an FOC of about 12.5%. So that's a good FOC. Um, you know, but then what you, and that's in a 300 spine, but then what I can also do is then I can click on Axis Full Metal Jacket. So this is ultimately the exact same, uh, you know, the arrow is the same, uh, virtually same diameter, uses the same type of inserts and everything. Um, but, you know, this one, uh, you know, if you get an arrow that's just slightly different, what you'll notice is your FOC is actually a little bit different as well. Um, so. I know that for me, the arrows that I've preferred as of late are going to be either the Easton Axis. Uh, right now, I'm shooting the Injection Full Metal Jacket. I really like that arrow. Um, and then also just the standard Full Metal Jacket. Um, I hunted this this year with this past year with the Easton Hex. And that arrow, actually, with a 50-grain brass insert, uh, because it's a lighter arrow out of the box, you can put that heavier insert in there. And, you know, what I found is that actually carries one of the highest front of centers that you can find out of the box. For me, that was running just under 15%. So, you know, that was, um, if you're looking for an arrow that's, you know, got some speed, but also has a great amount of front of center. Um, that was a great arrow, the hex. Um, however, you know, and this kind of jumps into another uh, another question here that I got from a guy. You know, someone asked the question. Um, you know, what is the best all-purpose shafts? Um, you know, what he says. You know, I, I'm I was looking at shooting the hex. Um, and kind of wonder how they're holding up for you. And he said he currently shoots a 340 FMJ um, for everything, 3D practice and hunting. So, you know, and I get this question a lot. What is the best all-purpose shaft? And to be honest with you, um, I think 
the best all-around shaft for if you have to factor in 3D and target you know if one person wanted to have one shaft to be able to shoot all archery all year long I would probably say it's going to be an ACC Um, the ACC is just probably one of the best all-time arrows if that arrow was available with the 50 grain brass insert that's probably all I would shoot it it has a lot of different spine categories you can get it um, very stiff in a 371 um, but you can also uh, you know get a very small one for for like women or kids Um, you know it's an aluminum core carbon exterior so it you know one the shafts don't have glare for hunting they're quiet on an arrow rest um, as it is they have a great durability great straightness because the core is aluminum i like the fact that the insert that goes in them you know you can use hot melt so that you can easily index um, your broadheads to align up perfectly with your veins there's a ton of really really great things about the ACC Um, there's a lot of great things about the other shafts too but you know when you're looking at the best all-around shaft that you know is going to be pretty good with speed great with durability it's got a you know it's got a small enough diameter to be good for some target shooting it's got a you know kind of a mediocre shaft diameter if you're a 3d shooter um, they're super durable and obviously they're awesome for hunting so you know if that question is relating to everything to do with archery then i would say the acc now if you're going to be a guy that's uh you know i think that's really more of a hunter but you just shoot a couple local club shoots and stuff a year and you, you know you shoot a little bit at the range just to keep your skills honed as a hunter then in that situation, I think the the injection AC or the injection FMJ, uh, that hex with a 50 grain brass insert or um, the axis with a 50 grain insert, those shafts are going to be the ones that I prefer. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, I shoot Easton's. Um, I've shot them forever. Um, so... You know, when I speak, at least on this podcast, you know, I'm not talking about other brands simply because I really haven't shot them. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of people out there doing really good with other aero brands, um, and you know, all that's your choice. But you know, I don't have the really the knowledge to tell you about uh, some of the other shafts from the some of the, from the other manufacturers simply because I don't use them enough to feel comfortable giving you guys my opinion on them so you know i know that uh sometimes when you guys ask these questions i kind of uh walk the fence a little bit but i have to because a lot of these questions you know one one rule of thumb i always have is anytime you change anything in archery change everything and you know there's just so many variables that factor into why i shoot certain shafts you know i i really liked shooting um those carbon bow fires um and the carbon nemesis for the turkey season uh, simply because i do like a heavier arrow um for turkeys i actually like the arrow um to kind of hit them hard um 
I like a lot of force on impact, and I also kind of like the arrow to stay with them, to be honest with you. I think it's harder for them to fly off. Um, I just think it does more damage that way. Um, so I really like those shafts, and not to mention when they are flopping around and rolling around, the durability of an all-carbon arrow um, seems to, you know, with a thicker wall anyway, seems to be really good. Um, but then again, you know, if I look at an arrow that I took um, last year, say, up to Alberta for, um, you know, spot and stalk mule deer or whitetail uh, or even, you know, some elk where I was going to be in a little bit more open country, um, I knew that I was going to have to deal with some wind and I knew that there's a possibility where I might not have a chance to perfectly range the animal every you know before I had to make my shot um, in that situation I wanted an arrow that was a little bit faster so I decided to go with the hex and I really liked the hex and I had great luck with it uh, with that 50 grain brass insert but then you know just like now I'm preparing to uh, to go up to British Columbia for a seminar and a bear hunt um, spot and stock bears so for bears um, I like to have a heavier arrow you know the front shoulder of a bear is is uh, you know is massive so I like to have the extra the extra energy I like to have that extra weight so you know I'm, that's why I chose um, that injection full metal jacket it's it's a 509 grain arrow my FOC is a little bit less than the hex would or the axis would um, however my overall weight is a little bit higher so um, you know I think for the situations there um, that arrow is really going to suit me the best um, the next question I have here is from Mike Coates and he's asking a question um, about the potential pros and cons on different vein profiles and you know he's noticing that um, lately I'm shooting a 2.6 AAE and he's kind of wondering uh, you know what the benefit of that is and honestly you know I like the shorter high, high profile veins um, on the market um, they do well but you know for me they tend to uh, you know want you know a battle clearance um, which you kind of ask for here you know a lot of the bows uh, you're shooting a containment arrow rest or you know just a lot of times now the companies are keeping their cables a lot closer uh, towards the string so I've just found it a lot more finicky to find um, you know an index and you know index my knocks properly to where I'm getting perfect clearance and if I do have any torque um, from shot to shot or if by chance I you know accidentally have facial pressure and I cause my arrow to come off the string a little bit different you know if you're shooting those real high profile veins I've just found that you know you do run the risk of having contact somewhere now some bows don't have that issue at all um, you know I've just found that you know especially the type of hunting that I do when I'm on the ground you know I'm going after bears um, I just really like that 2.6 vein. It's been, it's just an awesome all around vein. They go on super easy. Um, you know, they, they're super quiet and 
they're kind of a middle of the road. They're probably not the best aerodynamic um, vane out there. You know, if you're kind of checking, um, you know, wind drift at the longer distances. But when it comes to an aero or a vane that allows me to shoot either a mechanical or a fixed blade head, um, that's really the one. I shoot it with about a one degree offset. And, you know, I've just, I don't know, I've just really... I, I, I keep trying the shorter high-profile veins, and I've definitely had plenty of setups where I shot them. But in situations where I know that I uh, that I might need to make some slightly longer shots, or definitely situations where I want to have a quiet arrow uh, going into the target, then you know I've preferred the sh- the lower-profile veins like that 2.6. Um, just like for target, you know, I shoot. Um, the low-profile shield-cut veins, um, and I've had great, great luck with them as well. You know, there was a time for Target where some companies were making some, you know, really short, you know, inch-and-a-half high-profile veins, and it was kind of the same trend as what we're seeing right now on the hunting side. Um, you know, everyone was shooting kind of a, you know, about a 187 or a 2.0 low profile vein and you know then a company came out with like a 1.5 high profile vein and you know i've just i like the lower profiles um i don't like a big profile from the side i've just found that if there's a variance in wind i tend to not be able to be as consistent with my guesses um in wind compensation uh, as I am with the, the lower profile veins. One other thing I kind of want to touch on um, is, and I've had this question a few times, there's been some people that have kind of told me, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm getting uh, a certain tear out of my bow, and no matter what I do, uh, no matter how far, what I, where I move my rest, I continue to have the same tear. And usually when that happens, that's a, a sure sign that you're having some type of contact. Um, a lot of times it's going to have to do with your veins if you're shooting a very high-profile vein. Otherwise, it could have to do with facial contact. Um, likewise, if every now and then you have um, an arrow that's kind of comes out of your bow real squirrely, um, and I just dealt with this the other day, um, you know, I actually had taken some arrows out, and some of the arrows I took, I had indexed the knocks um, where I liked them, where I had good clearance from my rest. Um, but then a couple of the ones, as I took them out of the jig when I was fletching them, I forgot to turn my knock. So, you know, when I shot um, a group of arrows, I had a few that were kind of flying a little bit, you know, whack. So when I went down there, I kind of, you know, and obviously the ones that kind of fly funny, they usually do not group within the other ones. So I kind of pulled those and then looked, and sure enough, the knocks weren't indexed where I was getting proper vein clearance. Um, you know, and even though you're shooting a fallaway rest, um, if you're shooting containment rest, or like I said, depending on the bow manufacturer, um, some bows have, you know, they intentionally build uh, the bows to have a very minimal clearance. And the reason is, is because, you know, the closer you keep those cables in towards this, you know, the center line of the bow or the string line, 
the closer you keep those, the less torque that you put on the riser uh, as you draw the bow. You know, if your cables have to be pulled way out to the side, what you'll find is when you pull that bow back, the bow has a lot more tendency to twist because of that added pressure. So by bringing those cables in closer to the bow, um, you're able to minimize that torque and increase accuracy. But um, the thing you got to keep in mind with that is when those cables are close, you need to make sure that you have your knocks turn so that you're having perfect clearance with your veins as well um, I know that on my bow I was actually having a right tear um, so you know I set up my bow for the very very first arrow shot it through paper got a right tear so then I kind of thought well I'm just going to move my rest a little bit so I moved my rest shot it through paper again exact same tear so right away I knew well, okay something must be going on so I kind of turned my knocks um, checked my clearance and you know shot and then all of a sudden I had just barely a tear through paper and uh, one thing that I found and I find this on a lot of the bows out there because a lot of the bows are coming with you know some type of string stopper built into the bow if those string stoppers are touching the string too soon um, you'll find that it actually starts to decrease your accuracy rather than help increase your accuracy by eliminating that vibration. Um, if it hits it too soon, then, you know, it just, it tends to kind of drive that string in funny directions. So what I've done to get that positioning perfect is like on my Hoyt, um, you know, it has, um, you know a stealth shot is what they call their string stopper so what I'll do is I'll actually loosen the screw that holds that on and uh, I'll push it away from the string and then what I'll do is I'll just turn the bow upside down so that that stealth shot just slides down and just rests on the string without you know having any pressure on it at all and then that's when I tighten it up and what I found was, um, you know, when I replaced my strings and cables on this bow when I took it out of the box, um, you know, the the axle axle or the brace height must have been just slightly off because um, when I looked, the string was actually forced very hard into that uh, into that stealth shot. So actually, when I loosened it, I kind of moved it forward about an eighth to a quarter of an inch and then tighten it down exactly how I just described and uh, then when I shot it through paper that third time I didn't have any problems at all I got a perfect tear through paper so you know indexing your knocks and then make sure making sure you don't have any you know contact on your uh, anywhere on the bow and also making sure that your string stoppers aren't hitting your string too soon those are all going to be pretty pinnacle in making sure that you have really good arrow flight um, the last thing at least for this podcast that I want to talk about um, is going to be uh, stabilizers a little bit more because I continually get asked about stabilizers and uh, these are the you know the parts of the bow that are so personal um, you know, I, I think I talked on a, 
on a podcast here recently about how I went to a tournament and, you know, two top archers literally shot two bows that were almost set up exactly opposite. One had just as much weight on the back of their bow as what the other one did on the front of their bow. And, you know, the a stabilizer really comes down to preference. You know, the one thing that I'll tell you that I always look for in a stabilizer is, and I shoot a fuse stabilizer. I've shot tons of other ones. Um, the fuse carbon blades are the ones that I prefer simply because I really like how they're flat and, you know, they help reduce any type of, um, you know, wind resistance that you have on a crosswind. And, you know, so I, I like that design. Um, I like a, a rod that doesn't have bounce to it because if it's, if you have too much weight out there or if the rod isn't stiff enough and it has bounce, it'll actually continue to make your pin kind of go up and down too as that rod is sitting there flexing. So, you know, make sure that it's, that it's a stiff design. And then lastly, you know, make sure that it actually has some dampening, um, you know, to it. I really like to utilize a doinker style system to where you have your your long rod and then you have a rubber suppression unit that the, you then put your weights on the end because you know that really helps in doing one of the purposes of what a stabilizer is there for and that's reducing vibration and preventing residual vibration traveling to and from your arm. Um, you know, I've been battling, um, you know, some, some tendonitis in my bow arm here over the last, uh, few years. And it's really due to a lot of scar tissue that I have in there from back when we shot bows that had a tremendous amount of vibration and a tremendous amount of jolt. So, you know, if, if you're, especially if you're a younger archer, you're going to be able to shoot a lot longer if you take care of yourself and if you utilize a stabilizer system that actually suppresses a shot um, and not just weighs your bow down. You know, for hunting, um, the stabilizer that, you know, there's really two that I've been shooting. Um, one of them is going to be, uh, right now I'm shooting the, the Fuse Stealth Blade. Um, you know, it's kind of their new hunting, their new hunting blade that allows you to, to interchange, um, the rubber part, the stealth band, um, to different colors. So, you know, obviously I tricked mine out with a flow green color, but, you know, also, um, one that I've really liked is just the, the Hunter series. Um, you know, it's, it's a carbon and then it has the rubber suppression with a little bit of weight on the end. And for me, that does the real job of, of what a stabilizer is intended for, and that's actually suppressing and dispersing vibration as well as help helping either counterbalance, uh, you know, the weight of your quiver or, you know, or help, help your bow aim just a little bit better. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about here today, uh, while we have a minute is, you know, and I want to have another podcast anyway, specific about, um, getting a little bit more detailed into the fitness side, but I wanted to just touch quickly on what my daily routine 
actually is because I know that there's a lot of people out there that are wanting to become better archers. They're wanting to become more fit, but you know, they're not, you're not going to be, um, a hardcore, you know, beat yourself up type of fitness guru. You know, there's, there's quite a few people in the industry that are kind of going, um, super hardcore and, you know, that's great for them if it helps motivate them but i think the average person um especially the average uh, target archer anyway is really want to just have a fitness that helps them uh improve their their archery but still allows them um to get the type of practice time in that they need so to kind of give you a quick rundown of what my daily routine is um well, other than this morning, because I got up at 3 a.m. so I could do this for all of you. But um, typically, I get up pretty early in the morning. I like to get up right when the sun comes up. Um, my favorite times to shoot are either the first hour of the day or the last hour of the day. So um, I typically will get up if if I have something that I want to work on um, and I'm shooting a lot. Then I might shoot twice a day. I might shoot, you know. 30 or 40 minutes in the morning then 30 or 40 minutes in the afternoon um, but typically I'll get up I'll shoot when the wind's calm and uh, then I'll pretty much go up and have a breakfast try to put something in my stomach um, it's important to you know eat a little bit of carb um, you know a lot of people that are really watching their diet and reduce their carbs you know you need to make sure that you do intake some carbs in the morning before a workout um it's going to give you the energy that you need to do it um so normally i'll eat you know some type of breakfast um i'll have some type of a um you know something small with a carb i'll normally have like uh, you know a protein shake um then i'll go and take our boy to school and then I'm going to go to the gym right after that. And, you know, but three days a week, um, I do weights. Usually another two or three days a week, I'll do cardio. Um, but typically when I go to the gym, you know, I, I'll i turn my phone off. I go in. I try to be super efficient in there. Again, 45 minutes, if you're focused, um, is easily achievable. But you need to, you know, go in there on a mission to to work out and not on a mission to go in there and socialize. You know, I put headphones on. I try not to make much eye contact. I try to go in there, do what I need to get done so that, you know, I'm not wasting a whole day in there or just wasting my time in general. Um, From there, I normally come back about, you know, 9 o'clock and um, start my day, have my whole work day. And uh, then in the afternoon, you know, I normally if I'm going to work on anything, if I have arrows that I want to fletch or if I'm working on a bow or anything like that, I'll do it, you know, kind of in the afternoon uh, or evening. But then, you know, I'll save um, that last hour to practice um, just so that the wind is calming down a little bit. And, you know, I don't like having to shoot with the sun um, beaming hard into my face either. So, you know, for me, that's kind of the perfect routine. Um, on days where I where I know that I'm going to work out really hard and, uh, you know, maybe hit a, he- a, a bigger muscle group, 
Um, on those days, I might not shoot twice. You know, I might just shoot in the morning um, before my workout. That way, I'm not, you know, kind of preventing myself from feeling comfortable while I'm shooting. Um, you know, and listening in to that last podcast, podcast 19, the one that I did with Frank Zane, um, the three-way split that he does is really a great program. You know, it's it's the body divided um, into half. And, you know, it's really broken down to pushing muscles, pulling muscles, and legs. Um, So it really allows you to have adequate rest, which I think is great for any of the archers out there. So um, appreciate everyone listening. Definitely going to have some some other podcasts here coming up in the future. Make sure you get outside and enjoy this awesome weather. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com